Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Amanda Milkovitz, in for Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast, where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. This month, a national organization for victims of clergy abuse will launch its first support group in Rhode Island. It's known as SNAP, which stands for the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. To learn more, we're talking with the new group's co-leaders, psychologist Dr. Ann Hagen-Webb and Claude LeBeouf. That's after this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Anne Hagen-Webb and Claude LeBeouf, the co-leaders of Rhode Island's first support group of the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. I'm very happy to be here, too. Anne, you've been involved with SNAP for years. Can you tell our listeners what the organization is all about? The organization is for survivors of clergy abuse. It started out as a grassroots organization in Chicago and St. Louis, and it has blossomed into a worldwide organization. It's in lots of different languages, lots of different countries. It encompasses more than Catholic priests now, abused by nuns, but also by other religious from other denominations. That seems to say a lot about the extent of the problem and right. the number of, of victims out there. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's an organization that primarily tries to bring attention to the, to the, to the problem. Mm-hmm. It's survivors helping other survivors to heal, to become empowered. And that's through meetings, through leafleting at churches, mm-hmm. through annual SNAP meetings. Uh, there's a lot of online stuff. So it's, there's lots of ways to connect to other survivors, especially for people that are just starting to deal with it and feeling alone. You know, and it's been around since 1988 when it was founded, but this is the first support group in Rhode Island. What what do you think has taken so long for this to be established here? Getting any group together is difficult. We had a couple of false starts that didn't happen. And luckily, Claude is willing to take this on, and he and I are going to start together and Possibly six months down the line, he'll be on his own. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> He's finding out that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, and, and you're you're in such a unique position because you're a psychologist. You treat um, people who are survivors of, of sexual abuse, and you're also a survivor yourself. I was wondering if you can talk about your own experience when you were a little girl. Uh, sure. I was abused by our parish priest, Monsignor Anthony DeAngelis, from the age of five to 12, so essentially kindergarten through seventh grade. I didn't remember it until my children became the age that it started for me. My kids were close together, and my middle child was in kindergarten, so the memories started to come in, and I essentially got into therapy three times a week. I was seeing a therapist twice a week and in a group specifically for clergy abuse survivors, a therapy group, and worked on it. But it's, it was a hard road to have all those memories come back. Yeah. And I think you told me that you were in your 40s when you first spoke about it to your siblings. Is that right? Yes, I was 40. Wow. What was it like for you when you told other people outside of the therapist's office what had happened to you? My siblings have been really supportive, I'll, but I'll never forget the night that I told my two sisters, and one of them stands up and says, you can never tell mom and dad it'll kill them. Wow. <laughs> but I eventually did, yes. and it didn't kill them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they became supporters as well. My mother actually marched in a march that we had in Boston, and my father wrote a letter to the bishop they did occasionally say, do you have to keep doing this? Can we just let it go now? <laughs> but they were supportive. And not just your family. I mean, in 2019, you testified at the State House on a bill to expand the statute of limitations in child sexual abuse cases. And that legislation was sponsored by your sister, Representative Carol Hagan McEntee. She named the bill after you. And I was in the audience when you told your story, and it sent chills down my spine. What was it like for you to be in that room and to speak publicly to these strangers? I had testified before, mm -hmm. but I had used terms like abused or molested and left it at that. I had not really told the gory details of, of my story. And that night, because we had tried and failed with this bill before, I felt like the only way we were going to get it through is if I tore the scab off and really told people what it was like to be abused and what it felt like as a child. And I had an extreme reaction to doing that. It was very, very difficult, but I, it was worth it. it. It it really was. Speaking as an audience member, you could feel the tide turn, and it did. And that and that legislation was passed and signed into law. You know, and, and your story about ripping off the scab and being very open reminds me of my conversation with Claude. Now, Claude, I believe you said you were in your 60s when you came to realize that you had been abused by Father James Porter. He was the notorious priest of Fall River, pleaded guilty to molesting 28 children, but admitted to many more. And you said that Porter raped you. How did that affect your life? Well, I was probably about 66 or 65 when the memory came back to me of the actual sodomization. I was sodomized. They do not sugarcoat what happened to me. I like to make people know that I was not just touched. I was raped outright. It affected me in an emotional sense. That frightened little boy was trapped within me. 
who was being sodomized 60 years ago, was very much trapped in my psyche, and I would feel emotionally the same way as an adult very often. And that made me very easy prey to workplace bullies, loud people, aggressive people. That made me oftentimes not assert myself. And I, in a sense, I consider myself as somebody who went through most of my life with an undiagnosed disability. I think it made me have a hard time forming close relationships with the piece of people in my life because I felt very much separated from myself as a person emotionally. So because of that, I could not make a good relationship with other people that were in my life. So as far as my coming back with the memories and searching them out to fill in a more fuller picture of what happened to me the past few years, it's very painful, but it's also freeing to me because now I know what happened to me as a young boy. And I can say to people without a filter, I was sodomized. I have like physical flashbacks, physical pain from that abuse too, muscular pain. I have a lot of scans and things like that. I know there's no tumors or anything like that that's causing that. So in spite of that, it's still frightening mm -hmm. because it comes to me from time to time. But I feel freer and I would not trade the pain for the ignorance again. I do not want to forget about it. I want to know this happened to me and I don't call myself John Doe. You did this to me when I talk to people. This is what James Porter did to Claude LaBeouf. You sodomized me. And it sounds like this is a really important part of the journey of being a survivor in healing, is being able to call something what it is and to talk about it and to see how it's affected your life. Would you agree? I mean, what, what was your experience? Is very similar? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd call it rape as well. The problem with using words like molestation is it, it sugarcoats it, and the public can kind of, well, maybe they, it was a little tap on the butt or mm. whatever. And, you know, people don't come forward with that. They come forward because it was way more than that. And it's important to name it what it is. And it gives us our power back. And that's how the two of you found each other, right? I mean, Claude, you were looking for a SNAP group and I there was wasn't anything? I was looking for a SNAP group. I had attended one meeting of a SNAP group up in Newton Wellesley, the hospital up there, just before the pandemic came. And I tried a couple of like virtual online groups. It does not work for me. I don't do Zoom meetings. And that's what made me message Ann Webb. And she said, well, how about this for an idea? Maybe you could start work with one, make one yourself. So that sounded pretty good because I... I feel that I can do this, I'm willing to do the work, and I'm a smart person. I feel that it's a bold move for me to make, to do this. I, I might not look like much to most people, but I sometimes do things boldly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so delighted that you're willing to, to work on this. And SNAP, it helps survivors support each other, but it really also takes action. And we saw that this summer when SNAP alerted the public that a new priest in Narragansett had been banned from two other churches just a few months ago for asking sexual questions of children. And it was after a few days of protests that the Diocese of Providence backed down. So, you know, I'm wondering, with that episode in mind, what do you think about how Rhode Island is responding to the clergy abuse? And, I, and that can mean, how is the diocese responding? How is law enforcement responding? How is the general public responding to this issue? I'm really excited about... Uh, Peter Navona's 
investigation into the diocese, I think it's going to tell us an awful lot. As bishops and cardinals go across the country, Bishop Tobin has stonewalled with the best of them, has essentially operated with impunity because it's such a Catholic state. It's hard to get laws passed. The law that we passed, although it was wonderful to pass it, it was imperfect, Mm -hmm. and we're working to improve it. I think that uh, they do everything they can behind the scenes to keep the public thinking that they've worked on stuff while, Mm. meanwhile, fighting survivors and fighting the laws in the background. Mm. You know, and talking about Attorney General uh, Peter Nerona's investigation into decades of diocese records, he's told me that they believe they will be done with the investigation possibly by the end of the year. I think it's resulted already in four indictments so far. So, so far. <laughs> so far. And, but, but I think also lots of other damning information that might not result in an, an indictment because of the statute of limitations. Mm. But I'm hoping that it, it really sheds some light on, on uh, things that have happened in the past. I mean, we watched with Father Santilli earlier in the year how it had been 10 years that they knew he was an abusive priest. But they found ways to call the victims that came forward not credible. And before this current attorney general, there wasn't a will in this state to go after the Catholic Church. What bothers me and frightens me is that there may be other people, other priests all over the state that we just haven't discovered because one of their a new victim hasn't come forward or a parishioner hasn't figured it out that they've been reassigned a priest that was taken out of service. And I'm hoping that that, that investigation will uncover that. And the diocese has published its list of credibly accused priests living and dead and has made a point of saying that they are open to investigations and they conduct their own investigations as well as with the state police. Have you seen any signs that the Diocese of Providence is making any strides in becoming either more transparent or more accountable? No. The simple answer is no. (laughs) Uh, Why? Why do you say that? Uh, There were people left off that list that as you know, at the time when the list came out in 2019, some people came forward. I was very offended that they didn't call the priest who abused me credibly accused. They put Father Silva back in and used his first name in the parish so that nobody would connect the dots. And, you know, there's something about trauma where survivors feel like they're the only ones this is happening to. And your SNAP support group is going to bring people together to talk about, so maybe they're not so alone. What advice would you have for other survivors, other people who've gone through this, who may be listening right now and and feeling like they recognize themselves in what you're saying? I couldn't say I would give a person advice. I'm looking to just give the person a safe place to come with their story, because I think each person is going to have their own issue specifically, and each person is going to have their own challenge, their feelings of shame guilt, embarrassment, fear, anger, and each person is going to have their own issue. So I describe my experience and let the person take that as it is. 
and think about, you know, to think of like, for me, even with the past three years, it's been a, a constantly evolving thing for me. I'm a different person than I was three years ago. I have, want to give other people that chance to like grow and evolve as it works for them. I think the important thing is that they make that first move. I'd like to speak to the female survivors out there because almost without exception, when a woman calls me, they say, I know it's all boys, but it happened to me too. And it's not all boys. It was at least 35 or 40% female children that were abused by priests. Mm. Father Porter was a perfect example of that. He didn't care. It didn't, it's not a well, sexual crime. It's power. It's it what it really is. It's not sex. But it's he expressed was, sexually, but not. It's really deep down. It's about power. Right. Some have an affinity to either male children or female children, but certainly the, the female children have not gotten as much publicity. I would like to add to that that speaking to someone else about it, to coming forward, it, it takes away the loneliness, the isolation and it's the first step towards realizing that it wasn't your fault. Mm. When it's a religious figure, it's so easy for even a child to believe it's somehow their fault. They were too cute, too seductive, too something tempted this holy man. And that stuff stays, even though logically you know it doesn't make any sense. The first step towards realizing it wasn't your fault is to start to, to talk about it and it start to realize that nobody else would blame you. Yeah. And I think that's what we're trying to do tonight with the SNAP meeting and every month when we have them. So how can people get involved with SNAP? We're going to meet at the, the Cumberland Public Library, the Hayden Center, which is part of the public library. It's on Diamond Hill Road in Cumberland. It's going to be the first Tuesday of the month from 6 to 7.30. I don't want it to be open to the public. I would not like the press. I want it to be very much restricted to survivors and their caregivers, their support group. People are very directly involved with the survivors. I want the survivors to feel very safe to come forward to bring, begin their journey. So if somebody goes to the support group, what should they expect? Well, first of all, it's, it's free. It's anonymous in that nobody is allowed to say outside the group. One of the rules is what's, what's said in the room stays in the room. And it's drop-in. You don't have to sign up for six times or anything like that. You can kind of the way that you would with an AA group. You just drop in. And do people have to share if they don't want to share? Can they just come and listen? And they can come and listen. Okay. They can share. We will you know, try to include everyone in the conversation, try to he help everybody get relaxed, make it, as Claude said, a safe place for people to share. People okay. say as little or as much as they want. They can share whatever they want about themselves. I I'm just so grateful to have both of you in to speak to us today. It just, it means a lot. And, um, you know, I hope this will be helpful. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to speak. Absolutely. I'm very grateful. It's a privilege to speak here today. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. To learn more about Rhode Island's first survivors network of those abused by priests, check out my article in Globe, Rhode Island. Here are some more stories to check out this week. Life after the birth of a baby can be hard, and it's even worse for mothers who develop postpartum depression. 
Alexa Gagos has an interview with the head of our Providence-based research team that's working to prevent the sadness and anxiety that can come with a newborn. Block Island has been in the news lately for the fight that broke out on the ferry, but what's it like to vacation there? Our Globe Rhode Island team has a profile of the summer destination. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Amanda Melkovitz. Ed will be back next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.